Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 287. So, a few weeks ago, Parker and I had a uh, kind of a Python chat where we were talking about interfacing uh, an Arduino with uh, Python and getting it to talk via Skippy. Not the snake. <laughs> right, right. The Python language. Yes. Uh, which, which, funny enough, uh, was the first time that I've actually ever programmed Python from scratch. Like, I've gone in and modified programs, but like from scratch, like written something. Uh, and so we, we ended up making a little, I guess, script that, uh, that would communicate with a, uh, with an Arduino Uno and, uh, and it basically just allow you to talk via Skippy, which Skippy is a, what a, a, a test, mach- uh, test equipment communication protocol, right? Yeah. Yes. Sort of, not sort of, it's pretty unified, right? Um, the formatting of it is, but it's kind of down to the individual manufacturer to implement. It. So some stuff, like some commands are are universal, like the identify command, which mm-hmm. is asterisk idn question mark, and like the question mark being like a query command. That's a a normalized thing, um, but kind of beyond that, it's a open up the programming manual for your device and read it. <laughs> it's Wild West, right? Yeah, not as bad as you think, but yes. So uh, we finished that um, little Python chat, which we did uh, on Twitch. And I guess if you want to go and, and check that out, we still have that live on the MacFab Twitch channel. But uh, at the end of it, uh, I was thinking... You know, I've got a little project that I started a long time ago that this is perfect for. So I want to bang this project out and uh, take it to the next level with that. So I've always wanted to design a uh, an Arduino shield that has it's basically a purpose built multimeter that uh, works for a uh, like a test environment um, for biasing uh, tube amps. As long as you have the right connections to the tube amps, uh, this Arduino shield can take in all the appropriate voltages uh, that are, you know, most of them are in the many hundreds of volts. Some of them are in the like zero to 30 millivolt range. Uh, And then it can, via whatever you do on the computer, you can inform the user on uh, where you're at or if things are in the green or in the red kind of thing. So uh, in the last few weeks, I banged out a, uh, a schematic and a board for this, like, I don't know, this purpose-built multimeter thing. So I've got, I'm showing this off to the Twitch stream right here, but we'll have some pictures of it. Um, got it all built up yesterday and threw it on my Arduino, and so far everything's working pretty good. Uh, nothing really to complain about. Uh, and this is a, this is actually one of those uh, situations where so I don't I don't code a whole lot I I mean even down with embedded stuff I do some for work but most of the the coding I do for work is like initial bring up uh, validation of functions and then I hand it off to the really talented coders who can make it work in time and things like that so like I make sure LEDs blink and I make sure switches yeah. come in that kind of you stuff. make sure your hardware you validate the hardware. Yeah, pretty much. I, I validate the har- hardware and then, yeah, they make it nice for the user kind of thing. Uh, so so for the most part, I'm not writing libraries. I'm writing like very specific code that just tests my hardware kind of thing. So uh, 
this is one of those rare situations where I found a GitHub where somebody had a library written for these uh, A to D converters that I have on this. Uh, I downloaded the library, plugged it in. All I had to do was go into the header file and just change which pins were connected to the the chip select line and everything functioned. Like it's just pull up whatever function was there. Like that's super rare. I feel like that never happens where like you just get that lucky. I mean, it's Arduino. So like that's sort of the purpose, right? Like is for those things to be more universal. But like, it's just been my experience that either somebody didn't write something properly or timing is off or whatever. And not this time around. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fun when you actually like build something, load code into it and validate it in a matter of hours. And you're like, Oh, like, I was expecting this to be a lot more painful. Yeah, you didn't you didn't have to spend a day and a half just tearing your hair out. Right. My code works. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, the uh okay, so on this board I've got uh two of the gosh, ADS twelve fifty six uh ADD converters, which they're twenty four bit ADD converters with uh an eight input mux on them. So I have effectively 16 channels of 24-bit A to D on this. Uh, and I'm using 14. Yeah, I'm using 14 of those 16. Uh, and and in general, I sort of I made this a little bit generic such that uh, you could plug this into different variations of amps and it will still like reconfigure properly. Um, so at any one point in time, you're not using all 14 of those, but you probably use anywhere between 6 and 14. Um, and then in addition to that, I, I created a, uh, a constant current source with, uh, with some op amps that spits out one milliamp. And then, um, you can, you can, uh, put probes to that and read voltage across it and then be able to read resistance on it. Cause there's a handful of resistors that their value matters in the amp. So my, the, the, the kind of concept here is that you, uh, you start by reading these resistors in the amp get those values, store them somewhere, plug the whole thing in via a ribbon cable into a special test connector in the amp, and then run a kind of a, a routine that then goes and just grabs everything and calculates power dissipation based off of those resistance values that you had previously measured. Um, so yeah, kind of purpose built, but uh, um, I don't know. It's been, been pretty good so far. Some of the best test hardware is purpose built. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and and the reason why you can go fast like this and get something in a week that just works is because it's purpose built. Because mm -hmm. there's so much gray area where you're just like, I don't care. Like, I know the resistance range that I need to measure is between 100 ohms and 2.2k. I don't need to read anything outside of that. So that's why I chose one milliamp because then I get a voltage that I have to read that's 0.1 to 2.2 volts. That's it. Yeah, same thing with your voltage inputs. You have a specific range for all your inputs. Yeah, and, and actually it's it ended up working out that with this, um, so I've got giant uh, resistor dividers on the, uh, on the front end because I'm doing high voltage uh, input, and I wanted really high precision, um, high voltage division. So these are all, uh, each one of these resistors on here, I have 10 of them. They're a uh, one one thousandth ratio. So one uh, zero volts to a thousand volts is zero to one volt at my A to D. 
and then my A to D has gain, so I can bump that up by a factor of uh, two or four to get zero to two or zero to four volts. Although I have been testing this with no gain, just going zero to one volt, and the resolution I'm getting is far more than needed. That's good. Uh, yeah, they, so you know that was that was sort of one of the big things is that um, USB power, which I opted to bite the bullet and make it um, just try everything over USB power. So this whole thing, everything on this is being powered by whatever you plug this this into uh, over USB. And I was a little bit crossing my fingers on that because USB power is usually garbage, right? Like the spec on it is not particularly tight and uh the noise level is can be all over the place right i mean technically the noise can be enormous and and actually i'm seeing a bunch of noise on this um i don't think arduinos are like specifically known for having very low analog noise right like that's (laughs) not like their point um so i i kind of rolled the dice on that because i i'm i'm these a to d's are technically 24 bit I don't need a full 24-bit resolution on yeah, this. Yeah, didn't you so, say 17 is what you needed? I've, 17 was what, like, kind of like the bare minimum? I shouldn't even say that. Like, I don't even... I could probably get away with 12 bits uh, and and still be, like, plenty reasonable. Because at the end of the day, what am I calibrating? I'm calibrating an old, like, vacuum tube amp where the tolerances for everything is, like, 20%. Uh, so, so anything above a handful of bits, I'm, I'm already past that. But this was more of a challenge to myself. I wanted to be able to resolve 10 millivolts on a 500 volt signal. Um, and I, uh, I haven't done an enormous amount of testing. I've only had this built for uh, less than 24 hours here. But I'm already getting something in that range. Um, the biggest thing I need to do is test this with better test equipment because as Parker and I have talked multiple times in the past, we both have Harbor freight meters um, <laughs> and there's no way that they're calibrated have, to that level. So. Yeah. We have used in our personal labs. It's used equipment and bargain bin stuff. <laughs> right. I, I have a better meter that's uh, integrated into my scope, uh, but it's still not good enough. So I'm actually going to do some measurements with some uh, equipment I have at work. Uh, that'll be that'll get me a little bit better. So regardless, uh, the the what's nice is I was I was really concerned about the noise because I use a I used a DC DC switcher on this, um, and it's it maybe my layout's not phenomenal. I did opt for a full ground pour across the entire thing as opposed to doing separate analog digital grounds. Uh, the reason I did that is just because like. This Speed. all connects to an Arduino at the end of the day, so like oh, okay. yeah, I don't want to get fancy with it because it's already kind of screwed to begin with. Yeah. Um, so so I just uh, like make it easy. Just do a so, solid ground pour. So my and, question is, yeah, when you hook up a high voltage line and the ground for that high voltage line, are is the USB coupled to that ground? Yes, it is. Ooh, um, yeah, I, I know. I, I it's risky. It's risky, right? Uh, the the solution to that is perhaps using a laptop, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I solved this problem at work. Um, you can buy on Amazon. Actually, you can probably buy it anywhere. This is where well, I bought it. I bought a U, an actual USB isolator that plugs in in 
uh, in series with your USB cable, and it does work. Does it? Can you deliver power over it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, because I need a hundred milliamps of power. Yeah, that's it. Can do that. Okay, and and that might be the solution, right? That might be the yeah. end of the day. If so far, I haven't had any issues with that. Um, but also Until so you far, <laughs> well, but also so far I haven't plugged it into an amp yet. I've plugged it into, but I have coupled its ground to a, uh, a high voltage power supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do have this thing grounded through the USB cable, through a laptop, but also to mains ground through other gear and it wasn't noisy. So, yeah. Um, but I, I, I was using a piece of test equipment yeah. that's doing, um, FSK modulation for uh, uh, high voltage FSK modulation, mm. and it's and I, I kept basically exploding like USB hubs that were connected to it, <laughs> um, and it, it would be fine for a couple of days. This is the thing; it's fine for a couple of days, and then one of the devices under test is actually a bad de- you know ba- a bad unit yeah. that causes a voltage spike on that USB line, and it couples with the hub and thankfully it just usually just takes out the hub but i've had it taken out a a, a, a multimeter before too and uh i got a i basically i finally managed to get enough time to look at the schematic and i'm like oh the high voltage line on that uh, for this uh this uh fsk modulator is coupled it's actually it's really funky because the the high voltage positive line is connected to the ground of the board it's using the negative line to, or the uh, the uh, ground for the power supply to actually do the level shifting. It's really funky, and so basically, when you turn on that power supply, it's shifting the entire ground of the USB to like negative three hundred volts. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's the yeah, that's not gonna do. It's so much it's good. fine for a little bit until yeah. whatever diodes are not happy in that USB hub. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Basically go out. Um, but then I put in an isolator that solved that problem. Um, so it, it, it'll probably, you don't have a problem yet, but if you might, I, I, I might run into it. I don't have that kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, this, this device will be plugged into the amp before you turn the amp on. So mm-hmm. when you first turn the amp on, there will be a large current draw, but that should be isolated entirely inside the amp. That should not draw through the USB. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. Yeah. And so I've got it written on the uh, on the uh, the silk screen. The high voltage area is only here, and the high voltage only touches the voltage dividers. There's no high voltage anywhere else. So from basically this point down, the highest voltage you can get is five volts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't necessarily have the same kind of problem, but I might, I may just get the isolator just to be safe. It's a a safety thing. Right. Right. Especially since you just got a new laptop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I tested this on some bad laptops first. (laughs) (laughs) I did not put this right into my new laptop. Um, just from the get-go, so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, luckily, everything. Even though there's there's a bit of noise due to the switcher, it's not actually raising the noise floor too much. That uh, when I do 
uh, enough measurements and do my averaging that I need to actually pull off, I can get five zeros in uh, in a voltage measurement. So I can get down to microvolt um, reading, which is way thumbs up. That's a that's an order of magnitude greater than what I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you you're using your uh, voltage standard power supply, right? To measure that? Not yet. Actually, so I I'm I'm want to, but about a year ago I pulled that thing out and I turned it on and it shorted. Uh, no, I know, the, I know. It's part of the caps actually. Because remember we pulled that thing apart once and the caps were looking a little suspect, and I think we ended up just not replacing them. It still worked. <laughs> it worked and it calibrated awesome. Yeah, it was still working, but like we opened it up and some of the caps were looking a little suspect. So I bet yeah. you one of those finally went and. Well, what's nice about that board is, uh, or that whole unit is, it has a um, its power supply and its main like function boards are entirely separate. So mm-hmm. I can disconnect them and just test the power supply and see if the fault exists there. Because when we fixed it, all we had to fix was the power supply uh, yeah. last time. So I'm kind of crossing my fingers. But it, but if you remember, I had to buy like a really unique voltage regulator off of eBay because it doesn't exist anymore and. I don't know. We'll, we should we'll have, re- we should gotta, have replaced the caps when we were in there. <laughs> we probably should have. Yeah. Uh, so it it's popping fuses, which is uh, that's annoying, right? Yeah. I bet you some of those caps are a little little leaky. Yeah. It. I'm just afraid it's more than that because if it's more than that, that thing is a paperweight, right? I well I, then get rid of it and get it out of your garage. Probably that's probably the best. Yeah. Um, I mean, for now, what I'm going to do is just uh, ver- verify this thing against a good fluke. Um, that's okay. that's my next. Is, uh, is this the one that solution. that's written on the back? NIST certified on the back. You bet. Or NIST traced. <laughs> NIST certified at some time. <laughs> some time. Doesn't even have a date. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, no. It does actually have a calibration sticker. It's just it was written in Sharpie on there. To yeah, make that's it my favorite part. Easy though, to see. Like, it doesn't even have like a date or anything though. It just says calibrated and sharpie. <laughs> it's better than most places though. Better than most places don't don't have anything calibrated. Under the little flappy wing, the little kickstand on the back, there's a, an official NIST calibration okay, sticker okay. with a date that's out of calibration. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, let's see here. Oh, okay, so. Uh, yeah, the resistive measurement, the other portion of that, uh, like I said, I built a little op-amp uh, circuit that just cranks out one uh, milliamp, and I tested that on um, one of my meters here, and I was getting 1.001 milliamps. Uh, and the, the thing is, I used nothing but 0.1% resistors in that whole circuit, and then I used actually a bunch of them in parallel to kind of get uh, do our old trick of getting better uh, tolerance by using in parallel. So I actually kind of believe that, that one, uh, 0.001 milliamps. I'm going to verify that once again on better uh, equipment, but mm-hmm. it seems about right. And then, uh, I put a one K resistor and I measured voltage on it and it was really close to one volt. So yeah, go yeah. figure. It seems about right. Yeah. The interesting thing is the actual values I'm reading for the voltage um, on this bias test system, all of the vo- voltage readings seem to be good. They're all like within range. I swept my high voltage power supply from zero to 300 volts, and I tested that against two other meters while reading on this thing, and this thing was within 1% of both of my meters. So 
that doesn't mean that it's spot on. That just means that it's tracking the way that my meters do, right? So, like, I, I'm starting to trust and, this. And honestly, I bet you what you built it is probably better than those meters. Oh, I yeah, no, I'm actually I would bet this is yeah for sure, uh, which is funny. I, yeah, how do you test something when you are the one who built the better thing, right? Yeah, it's it's um. It's actually a very good question. We need to have like a test, a test equipment engineer that like designs that stuff on this podcast to talk about that. You know, okay. So I was actually looking at getting somebody on uh, a little while ago. Um, just actually last week, I was looking into it. I'm looking for a metrologist. I want to get a metrologist to come on and talk about the science of measuring things. Uh, and like, how do you measure things? And then how are you confident in your measurement? And what how are we all screwing up measurements because i know we are right mm. um, so i think it, i think that would be really fun because you know i i'm doing this project right now and park and i've talked about a, uh, a a bigger more grand multimeter project well having someone come on and, and talk to us about like how you actually get uh validate that that i think that would be fantastic so if anyone knows a metrologist that would be willing to talk to us um, even if it's a metrologist that deals in uh, measurements of like not electronics but like physical things, I would still love to talk to him because mm -hmm. the the science still applies, right? Um, it's actually a very interesting thing. Is like it's it's easy to design something when you have or design something that measures something when you have stuff that's better than it to calibrate right. it to, right? Well, and that's why Parker brought up my voltage standard, because the voltage standard I have is way better than what I just designed. Mm -hmm. And it was calibrated by a thing that is that we know is better than it. So, yes. like, I should have been able to pass it down the line. Yeah, it, it, was that, that, work. it was that it was that Keith Lee. Was it Keith Lee? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a Keith Lee, like seven and a half digit multimeter. Oh, yeah. We were measuring down to nanovolts. Yeah, I would think yeah. it was a lot of fun. Actually, at that point, we were probably measuring incorrectly somehow. Like, when you get down there, like, it's everything, all bets are off, right? Unless yeah, you're probably. doing it perfectly right. Mm -hmm. So, the, the interesting thing, okay, so yeah, uh, the, all the channels seem to be reading voltage great. The, uh, the resistance measurement has an error in it, and I don't, I haven't figured out why yet. I've identified the error, but I don't know what's causing it. It is the error seems to be about 1.7% low for any resistor I plug into it. And like that number is that 1.7% is like, it's perfect. If I put a hundred ohm in there or a 1.5 K or whatever, it's always that low. So it's like a gain error somewhere. Hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting because I can have the resistor on the board. I can measure the voltage across the resistor with a with a meter and the voltage is right on the meter and i get a low reading on the add i'm not entirely sure what's causing that right now because all the other measurements are proper um so i don't know i gotta gotta dig into that one yeah, i don't that necessarily want to start like making offset corrections in my code just because an error exists i'd rather figure out why the error exists you know yeah, it could just be, you know, the offset's just in there, though. It's part of the intrinsic value of that ADC. It could be, but all the other ADC channels are functioning fine. It's just that one. Oh, hmm. Yeah. 
And it's, yeah, I guess you need to go into data sheet for the ADC and see what the offset of the mux is basically could be. Yeah, yeah, but like I said, it's a it's a percentage, so it it changes based off of the voltage that's in. So that's mm-hmm. why it seems like a gain error somewhere. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I I still need to play with it. Like I said, I've just identified that it exists. I haven't um, identified all the ways that it exists. I just gotcha. put different values in and realized that like they were always low by a very particular amount that is consistent regardless of what resistor you put in. And only on one channel. Only on that channel. That's right. uh, so yeah, it's strange. And and like I said, I validated the the constant current is spitting out what it should be. And on a meter across, you know, if you have one milliamp through one K of resistance, you should have one volt uh, across that resistor. I can validate one milliamp and one volt on a meter at the exact same time that the ADC is reading less than one volt. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it seems intrinsic to the ADC somehow, but it's only that one channel. So I wonder if that one channel, if it was a gain value, I would assume that that op, that ADC only has one gain stage. It does. And and so the mux is before basically the, the gain stage. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's gotta be the mux and the mux inside there might have a, might just have a offset and just that's on the worst case of it. It might also be loaded weird. That could be something that's that's causing issues because all the other channels are a low impedance op amp that are driving all the other inputs. Uh, whereas this one is reading directly across a low impedance resistance. Oh, that's exactly what it is actually. Uh, so that's what I've been fearing. Uh, and so... Now I wish I would have put a buffer in between there, but the reason I didn't is because I had used up all my off-amp channels. So I was like, (laughs) well, we'll we'll go with that. So I'm 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 thinking it's that. Yeah, it's probably drawing a bit more current than the other ones off that ADC. Right. So I'll I'll keep playing around that, and and if that uh, if that is the case, look like I said, I it's a it's a it's a specific amount. So it's I can just multiply my my value and um and and get the answer so it's not end of the world and i'm already way more accurate than i need to be so any errors that show up due to multiplication i i think would be still within the realm of reasonable um numbers Hmm. the cool thing is uh so i use some some op amps that i've been using at work and i found these op amps i talked about them gosh months ago on the uh, on the on the podcast they are the uh tlv Let's see here. I have them written here. TLV. The TI. Uh, yes, they are. T- but they're like, they're generic replacement jelly bean op amps, but they're like too good to be jelly bean op amps. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. And they're, they're also new. So they're going to be in, um, in production for a good long while. Uh, they have, gosh, well, I don't, I don't remember the number TLV. Oh, you know, I have my schematic up. Let me, uh, nine, uh, TLV nine, one, five, four. Uh, so this quad package um, has really, really low uh, current consumption, but one of the things that's really nice about it is a really low offset. The typical offset from each amp is 125 microvolts, and uh, it, typical is 125, maximum is 750 microvolts. So they're, they're sub one millivolt offset, which if I didn't cal- uh, calibrate for one millivolt 
uh, worth of offset, that would mean an error of one volt on my total output. So if, if we're thinking about I'm trying to measure 500 volts and my guaranteed error is within one millivolt, like I'm still like way, way low uh, mm-hmm. on my measurements. But I think I can calibrate all that out because what's cool is, is if you cycle through the channels and read this, I can actually very easily see this offset because I'm reading down to one microvolt. I can easily see the offset of each one of these op amps. Uh, and the nice thing is I, um, the noise is actually low enough that I've been able to average the snot out of it, uh, find out what that offset is, and then calibrate it out. And that's how I can get down to one microvolt. So you were already doing offsets and stuff in your code. Well, but but it's it's a measurable and a, no, a known offset. Uh, whereas this other thing is a gain. Like it, that's just a fixed offset. It's always there. Gotcha, gotcha. I, okay, I see what you're saying now. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of one of the one of the things I want to have in the test GUI is I want it such that when you when you load up, there's a button that's like a uh, like a, a zero button where it'll go mm-hmm. channel by channel and then make sure all those offsets are taken out and you start fresh from zero. Uh, you know, other than that, I'm getting, I'm getting down to one microvolt. Now, let me, let me make sure that I, I clarify by saying I don't 100% know I'm down to one microvolt. It's just these ADCs are reporting one microvolt worth of, <laughs> worth of change. So I have to validate that, and that's actually going to be pretty tough. But that's where I said earlier I can get to five zeros on my, uh, on my input values kind of thing, which... One microvolt of change uh, equates to one millivolt of uh, voltage in the amp, and my target goal was uh, being able to read 10 millivolts. So I'm mm-hmm. about one order of magnitude better than what I'm hoping for. And in all reality, it probably, once everything gets put into place and, you know, I've got cables and stuff floating around, it'll probably get more noisy uh, and I'll probably get closer to 10 millivolts worth of resolution on a 500 volt signal, which is exactly where I wanted to be. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm pretty happy with it so far. Uh, everything kind of, kind of turned out well, um, sort of next steps with this is to, uh, finish validating everything. And then I've got to merge the, my two sketches. Cause I've got the Skippy sketch and I've got my sketch that's doing all the reading. I need to figure out all the things I want the Arduino to do. Because mm-hmm. really, I, I'm thinking all that I really want it to do is just cycle through all its measurements and throw it in a mailbox. And that's the entirety of what the sketch does. And then Python just says, give me you know, the contents of this mailbox. And that's yeah, yeah, you all can totally do that. To do. Because I think that's the easiest, as opposed to having Python talk to the Arduino, then the Arduino goes and does it. I'd rather the Arduino just be running its own thread that's just nonstop. You know? Yeah, yeah, you can do it that way. Yeah. Um, and that's how that's how the buttons work on one of my fixtures that work. Is is the Arduino side is just pulling the the switches, yeah. and sticking it into the result in the mailbox, and then on the computer side, the computer goes what's the value of the buttons? And the Arduino just spits out what the mailbox is and then clears the mailbox out. So you right. probably don't have to clear the mailbox out for yours. No, I'm just going to just, it'll just open the mailbox. If there's something in there, it just burns it and then throws the new value in. And then yep. Python, That's exactly what you should do. when Python grabs the value, it doesn't need to erase the value from their mailbox. It just looks at it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I kind of like that better when they're disconnected 
uh, yeah, well, you have to. So your computer in Python is asynchronous. Right. So you have to treat that communication between the two as asynchronous. Well, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, the, the, the other solution is kind of what I said, where Python could make a request to the Arduino, oh. and then the Arduino goes and does the does it and then brings it back, and that makes it non-async, uh, that makes it synchronous, and that seems like a headache. You can do that, too. That's how most... Um, Skippy DMMs work. Sure. Um, usually go, you set, you set up the multimeter with the right config fun, uh, function and stuff. And then you go sample once and then the DMM will sample once and then you go read. And so you get that value back. Yeah. That, that, that's sort of the beauty of having the purpose built uh, yeah. multimeter though, because all of that setup is hard coded on mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that you change the hard coded portion is just depending on what it plugs into. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll, it'll either utilize pins or it won't. So, um, I could get a little bit more fancy, but like the, the way I'm thinking about it is you have a, a in the GUI, you have a drop down list and the product name is in that drop down list. So if you select this product, then it knows not to read channel three and six or whatever, you know? Yep, yep. Um, so you don't have to do all of those hardware configs. You just, the software just ignores things. Cool. So, uh, and then, yeah, after that, um, Parker and I are going to schedule up, I guess, working on a GUI and working on uh, the next step with Python. Yeah, we'll probably just do like a GUI explanation and not even worry about Skippy. Um, sure. Because basically you would want to do like, we'll probably use Tkinter because it's a portable uh, GUI interface for Python. And then, because you probably need a drop down that just does, that changes what functions get run basically on in your behind the scenes. Yep. And then, um, and then some values that spit out into like fields or something. We'll figure it out as we go. Like we did last time. Have you've done automatic printing right with python oh yeah mm-hmm. what 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 would be cool is to just build a small amount of functionality like the like the the skeleton structure in there such that once once something is biased like the operator can say hey like this is complete and then it prints a sticker and says you know so i've complete. only done it with zebra printers so you need to get a zebra printer <laughs> Well, I'm thinking more towards the future, not now. Like it. Oh but, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. I mean, that's why I was saying, like, maybe just like the baseline skeleton. Yeah, yeah, things. we can totally do that. Yeah, we can actually do it all the way to the point where, like, it prints it, like, generates the ZPL that you need. Yeah, and then like that's it, and be like, the next portion is like the plug a printer in. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I yeah. dig that. Um. We don't. We won't have to do that for the next one, but definitely uh, in the future for sure. Right. So yeah, once I have this all validated, um, I've got to actually build a small little board. I'm just going to make a little piece of perf board and just kludge in a cable into one of my amps um, and just basically hard solder all the wires into an amp so I can so we can actually test this. Mm-hmm. But I'm liking it because the the amps that I have available right now they're all. Um, they'll all take this to the extreme. They're all 500 plus volt guys. And they like all the voltages are the the top end of everything I want to do in these ones. That's good. 
The, yeah, the other thing that I got to watch out for is these ribbon cables are rated for 300 volts. Um, these 16-pin ribbon cables. So I got to figure out a solution to that. And the solution is find a higher rated ribbon cable or or test it and see if it works, right? <laughs> Remember, usually they have a safety factor of two, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Do um, not take my advice. <laughs> especially in high-voltage land. Uh, well, and that's just the thing. Most of the conductors it, uh, that are actually connected in, they're all going to be close to 500 volts. So their voltage difference is only going to be a few volts. Uh, so the, as long as the cable isn't close to something conductive, then it's or all you, sitting close to the same voltage. pinched a connector somehow. However, there are two um, ground leads mm -hmm. that go through there. So that's that was unavoidable. I wonder what if the limit is the IDC connector uh, connection or is it the insulation? Uh, honestly, I, I, I think it's actually probably the little fingers that, the, that stab into it. Inside That's the, the IDC. Connector. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, their spacing might not be uh, amazing. Yeah. Might have a little arcing action. Well, we'll see. I have seen ribbon cables that are rated to high voltage um, like thousand volt kind of stuff. It's just, uh, they were, I haven't found any that I can purchase. Yeah. Well, if that's true, then it's probably the IDC connector and is fine. It's probably the insulation then. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. I can honestly hook this up to my high voltage power supply and just juice it and see what happens, you know, <laughs> fireworks in your basement. Wouldn't be the first time. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> So, so real quick, um, I, oh, I like I've kind this of, next subject. I've kind of been posting about this in the Slack channel. Um, and, and I don't, I don't want to dog this too hard. This actually opens up a question that I want to ask you, Parker, uh, just get your thoughts on it. So this section, I've, I've called it gripes about Arduino. Um, I, Arduino's fantastic and amazing until you start to try to, uh, design physically around the Arduino. Uh, the, the website, the Arduino website has, has okay documentation in terms of, you can download the schematic, the schematic, the PCB file, they have dimensional drawings and things like that. <clears throat> but, uh, but there's some, unfortunately, uh, there's some unfortunate designs, decisions that happened with the, uh, with the Arduino that, that make it a little bit of a pain to mechanically design around because in the time I was waiting for the PC board for this, I was wanting to design up a little enclosure. And since I have a nice CNC at work, I can just, you know, program in holes and go and cut it. And I, I, I realized that that's not as easy when you look at the Arduino. So a lot of our Slack members probably have already seen it, but I, I was complaining about some of the mounting holes that are on, on an Arduino. Um, they're, the, the hole size was chosen to be 3.2 millimeters. So that just screams like a free fit for an M3 uh, screw, which is, Hey, great. Like M3 is available all over the place and it's easy to get. Um, but it, I don't think they took the head of the screw into account because an M3 will fit through the hole, but you ain't going to get the head near any of these. Like they put stuff like bunt butt up right to the edge of the hole. Yeah. I mean, here I have an Arduino mega right here. There's a hole right there. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he he showed me a hole that is like touching two adjacent pin headers. <laughs> yeah, let me measure. So the whole I, I actually have my calipers right here. I'm gonna yeah. measure what that spacing is. 
Uh, let's put it in metric because it's probably metric spacing. It is five millimeters between those two. And so an, got an M3 head is six. Yeah, so you can't even get a, a M3 screw in there. Right, and I doubt you could get a 440 in there without some adjustment. No, you wouldn't be able to. So, in, yeah. yes, I do agree. That's the biggest... Uh, there's two big things with Arduinos. Is one, the mounting holes are terribly designed. <laughs> um, the locations and what's around them. Because, um, like, one is near, like, the DC jack. Yeah. And so if you had, like, a conductive nut, like, fastener... It's going to short there. Um, <laughs> the solution to that is to use those press-in style. Right. Um, that a PCB mount press-in that are like nylon. Uh, so you just snap the board in. And you know what? We might be dogging them. That might have been the original design um, Could be. choice. Could be. Which is, that's totally fine. Are they actually the right size for that? I don't know what. Let's see. Well, okay. So, so there is one kind they of They are thing. not the right size. So those are... For the press and style, at least the ones that I've worked with, those are, they require a 156 mil hole. That's almost four millimeters. Yeah, and these are 128 mils. So what, what, is, what is 156 in metric? Oh, 156 is six millimeters, right? Is it six millimeters? Uh Look at look at two Americans trying to convert it is, to metric. It's actually four millimeters. Four millimeters. Yeah. Okay. I had it right before. Yeah. So the holes aren't big enough for the press and unless there's unless there's smaller press and styles that I don't know about. The only ones I know of are four millimeter or one fifty six um, holes. So that wouldn't work. Well, okay. So the, the Arduino came up with a solution to this, and this I wasn't aware of this, but it's. It ships with all Arduinos now. I haven't bought an Arduino until recently. Uh, last time was years ago. There's a little plastic sled that comes with it now. So the Arduino fits nicely inside this little uh, pr plastic. Uh, that's the best I, uh, thing I can say is a sled. Um, and it has mounting holes that are kind of in a little wing that hangs outside <laughs> of the device. Now, it's funny because only two of them. Uh, two of the mounting holes are there because mm -hmm. two of the mounting holes at the back of the Arduino can actually accept a, an M3 screw with a proper six millimeter head. So I, that was their solution. Um, you know, I wonder what we did at Dynamic Perception because we used Arduino Unos basically. Uh, it was the previous version, which was Dewey Movano, something like that. Oh, something like that. Yeah. Um, we used those. Uh, those Arduinos and they were mounted into that chassis or that enclosure. I don't remember how, and I don't think I have. No, I might have some at work or I'll ask uh, Chris church. Um, if he remembers how they were screwed in. Cause I think they were screwed in with four screws. Could be. And they, they, and they, they had the same mounting hole pattern as the Uno does. Um, well, perhaps you used smaller screws and offset them. Such that the head would actually fit. I think we used pan head screw, not pan head, flathead, um, flathead. So the angle kept the head off the board, basically. <laughs> kind of funky. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, that could work, right? It worked enough to sell several thousand of those things. So <laughs> right, right, right. Um, 
Well, okay. So then there, there's one other thing, and this is actually a lot less of a gripe for me, but I could I could understand other people being annoyed with this. But you know the whole classic header uh, the spacer, the he, the fifty mil space, the fifty mil space, so it doesn't work with perf board. <laughs> yeah. So that's always been a big thing about Arduino, big gripe. And so what the I think the official story was when they were developing it, the hardware side of it, is it was a mistake. Yeah. And then it was kind of like noticed too late, and they've and people have already built shields and stuff that worked with that spacing, and so they just never changed it. Um, now that then there's a conspiracy theory Ooh. that Arduino did it be, so that perf board couldn't work with it, so you had to buy the Arduino shield perf board stuff. So you had to buy their accessories. I don't really believe don't that too that. much. <laughs> yeah. I don't buy that at all. I think it was just truly a mistake, and it was just noticed too late to kind of back out. They probably built a whole bunch of shield designs and stuff and then started manufacturing stuff and didn't realize until, like, maybe, like, after they got a whole bunch of PCBs made that, oh, that's probably not a good idea. Oh, well. <laughs> well, and, and, and check this out. They, they have custom headers now. Yeah, like the headers. I yeah, mean, they, they probably custom, had this for a while, but yeah, they have custom headers that have a 50 mil space. Yeah, instead, well, it's actually 150 mil. Uh, right. So it's like 100 mil, 100 mil, 100 mil, 150, 100, 100, 100, 100. <laughs> Which so okay, they got, so they got custom injection molded, basically pin headers, but they're really nice because they have like the signals are printed on them and stuff. The signals are printed on both sides of them yeah they're really nice they're super nice now like i like i said earlier like this doesn't bother me too much because it's a it's a shield design i'm not going to make a perf board i'm going to go out and make a custom pcb so uh and like it accepts pin headers like it's super easy mm -hmm. like they didn't make it such that i had to get a custom part um but i could understand somebody wanting to prototype something with a with a perf board and being like really uh and then you know i don't know having to cut a perf board and jump her over or whatever so that seemed like a design mistake and perhaps this i think is it was a, an oversight right that went too far yeah you're right you're right mistake might be a little harsh there oversight oversight's probably a better uh better word and this is a question that I would like to ask you, Parker, and maybe this is actually a good question to extend to our Slack team um, to kind of get out there. And I like how you call them a team now. Oh, yeah, yeah, our 600-strong team. Uh, when do you bite the bullet and fix a problem is, is the question. And what I mean by that is, like, Arduino. When should Arduino bite the bullet and fix this, or should they bite the bullet and so fix this? They will never going. They're never going to fix it. They've already said they're never going to fix it. Sure. Um, so the, the interest, interesting thing about this question is, it, it depends. It, it depends on if you if you are okay with the mon. So there's two things with this. There's the monetary, and then there's the moral. Okay, you know why. <laughs> Because sometimes the monetary dictates one path that is don't fix the problem because monetarily it makes sense. But morally, you should fix the problem because you might be Ford and have a Pinto that explodes when you get your car rear-ended. 
but it's cheaper to keep the problem broken and uh, just pay out lawsuits. Right. So it depends. Yeah, everyone in chat is just putting like dollar signs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's dollar signs unless there is a ethics problem with keeping it with that decision. Well, but 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 okay. This these kinds of issues they knew from way early on. So they could have been asking them themselves this exact same question the entire time. So it, I don't believe it was always a money thing. I think no, it has grown no, I into think it, a money. No, I think it originally was a money thing is they built a whole bunch of boards and a whole bunch of shield designs then noticed that it was too late and then well they're like well we got to sell how many they made of their first run i don't remember uh or no and then once they got out in the into the free world people like people design shields for that pins and then once you know that happens they just they made a standard by, by accident right yeah, and they can't change that standard. Uh, I don't. I don't agree with the can't change that standard. Well, they can, but then everything. The right. thing is, yeah. it's fine. You'd be, screw, they, you would be screwing back compatibility. Yes. Yeah, you're messing up backwards compatibility because, like, even the Mega, which came later, has that same issue. Mm-hmm. Um. So, that's the thing is. I, I don't think, um, yes, uh, uh, it, it's one of those, they'll probably never fix it because it doesn't actually hurt. It's not, there's no ethics reason for them to fix it. The pin spacing, I don't think really hurts much. The mounting hole issue, I think, has more of an impact. Um, now, that brings up a lot of questions about should you be needing like if you need to mount uh, an arduino into something you can probably find a way right yeah uh but you know if you, should you just are do what i always do double side sticky foam the, i mean i might i might do that but like that's <laughs> annoying right <laughs> actually yeah i've seen i've seen more than one test rig with double-sided tape arduino oh, yeah. in it stuff's awesome <laughs> I, got I just two, want I got, it to be nicer. I have two. I have two kinds of sticky foam, that, and this is what every engineer should have in their drawer. You should have the the, the super thick. It's kind of like a Manila white color foam. Yeah. Um, that's really squishy. It's kind of got like a low tack to it. But then you also should have the VHB style from 3M, which is uh like dark gray, and it's thinner. But that stuff, they build like cars with that stuff. Oh yeah, um, and uh, on VHB tape, if you if you actually want that stuff to be permanent, you get VHB primer, and it's like it's almost like an alcohol. Uh, so you clean the surfaces, like with alcohol wipes, and then you put this primer on it, and it dries real quick. That VHB tape would never come off. <laughs> you will permanently bond things together with a VHB tape. And v- the best thing is, what does what does VHB stand for? Uh, very high bond. That, yes, exactly. I just that, love that wasn't that was a guess. <laughs> three three M is really good at naming things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forever. What bond. does three M stand for? I bet you something similar. Uh, maybe I don't know. The mining hole thing kind of kind of bugs me about this Arduino stuff because I, ah, I was designing Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company three M. Really? Oh, yep. Okay. 
Um, but uh, but okay. So if I'm designing an enclosure that's supposed to work with like actual hardware that you can actually design around and actually measure, now now I have to come up with a tape solution or or like goofy little click on stand. You know what you should just do? You just make an all-in-one board that has your built-in isolation. And you I, put the chip I originally on the board. thought about doing that, of just like putting an Arduino on a board, on this mm-hmm. board with with the rest of my stuff. I even have mm-hmm. space for it. I could have done it. Yeah, but uh, I was I like, know, I'll make my design cycle essence. faster. You know. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. always for Rev Two. Uh, I don't want a Rev Two because it, it works. <laughs> it doesn't right? work. It works. Like, and I, you are adding in more complexity that can end up make, causing a Rev Three to happen. Also, this was one hundred and seventy dollars worth of resistors. So, like, no, I don't yeah, want that. Unsolder them and put it on your new board. I, honestly, I would. Yeah, yeah, I really would. It's interesting at Mauser these uh, these resistors. Um, the the it was the exact same cost for nine of them, and it's the, it was the same cost as ten. So. Uh, it's just sometimes the price breaks work out where it's just like buy more. Yeah, I think DigiKey has that has that thing where it will let you know if the next price break is a better deal for you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know if they're still doing that. I, I'm pretty sure that was a thing at one point. So, all right, let's wrap up this with one last topic. Yep, supply chain oddities. That have been kind of so supply chains all messed up. We're not going to talk about that because everyone knows that and we talked about it a lot. Um, so I start. I'm working on my new design. And it's actually an old old project from a long time ago. Not going to go into that either because it's not 50 percent done yet. Um, but I was noticing that I can get pretty much any linear tech device uh, I see out there. Like I just everything in my design. I'm actually like doing a lot of linear tech uh, ICs for it, um, specifically like the LT8672, um, which is a, a rectifier controller for um, uh, input input uh, protection, input voltage and, and, and uh, spike protection. Um, but what's interesting is analog devices, analog devices, devices... <laughs> Um, are really hard to find right now. Like you are like they're sold out everywhere. Um, but analog devices owns linear tech. And I wonder if this comes down to where a lot of people do not design with linear tech devices because of that whole, like you might find the perfect chip with LT, but they have like eight in stock ever. Um, and they're also, you know, slightly more expensive than competitors. But they, man, Leaner Tech's just got some awesome ICs, which is why I'm going with them for this design. Because I only need to build one, really. Um, but I'm basically, I'm, a long time ago, I say a long time ago, sometime this year, um, I found that Leaner Tech Automotive Power Supply Design white paper. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually implementing that because I kind of want to build it and test it and see how that works. Uh, are you able to give us a, uh, just a hint on what it is? Uh, it's the, the Jeep prop. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm actually using the prop one still because like I already have, I already have all the code for this thing done. So I'm like, <laughs> eh, I'm just going to reuse that microcontroller. Yeah, for sure. And I can get, I can get, and funny enough, the I think the parallax propeller might be the only microcontroller you can buy right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
probably same reason for linear tech. It's a, you know, kind of like a weird brand, right? Mm. The funny thing with the supply chain stuff is it seems some stuff is starting to come back in, like for integrated, like capacitors and resistors never had a problem with this current wave of supply chain issues. Same thing with connectors. It's mainly been ICs. Most ICs seem to be coming back in some form, except microcontrollers. I wonder if the wafers is the is the bottleneck right now for microcontrollers. That's just my guess. Hmm. Uninformed decision or uh, uninformed statement, I guess, right there. But I'm going to bet you it's wafer. wafer uh, certain wafers are that they use for most microcontrollers are probably hard to get right now. Because I know because I have like the entire world supply of a specific Atmel microcontroller on my desk here. <laughs> <laughs> and it fits in a box that's like this big. <laughs> like a 12-inch box. Yeah, but it's like the world supply. There's like 2,000 microcontrollers in there. <laughs> yeah. So it's amazing to think about that's like the world supply, at least for right now. And... Uh, It'll don't worry, back. people. Don't hate me. They are going directly into products like next month. Oh, you're not you're not just hoarding them. No, I'm not hoarding them. I need them to build stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> I shipped uh, I shipped 250 penetrators. Nice. And so now I got to build like a thousand plus more of them. Wow. And then uh, shipped twenty thousand LED boards. So. Very cool. Congratulations. Oh. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Um, Fancy in chat um, just posted a a article that's microcontroller supply chain is out of control. So I don't know what that says, but it's probably probably saying something similar to what I just said. I mean, it 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 has been out of control. Yeah. I guess we should wrap up this podcast then. I think so. Yes. Okay, so that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later, everyone.